Well, good to, good to be back with you, and thank you for coming back. It's good to see you. I um, want to talk some about this multicultural question. Um, and, and one of the things that, that, uh, that we have a great privilege to do is uh, we actually did a recent study uh, among receptivity among people groups um, that, that, I, that I think is kind of, kind of fascinating. Um, what we did is we actually, um, you know, I do missiological research for what we've done. And so what we did, we did a study of uh, first-generation immigrants and, and, uh, and kind of their receptivity. We did a study in 20 languages um, and all different kinds, obviously. And, and some of the things we learned along the way were some of the, uh, um, some of the, some of the openness, the receptivity that people had to, to, uh, to gospel work and, um, you know, and, and also really what some of the gospel work, the most likely languages that, that were or most likely people groups that were, that were the most open along the way. And so we have this huge report that is probably much more than you would possibly need. But, for example, we actually kind of, kind of polled and said, what's the receptivity to the gospel of different, of different peoples uh, along, the, along the way? And then, and then rank them for, for uh, you know, where, where opportunities might be from the place where some were uh, not receptive, not, not particularly receptive, and not receptive at all to very receptive. And, and then we looked at this from these are, you know, from reported. And, and you know, and so, so we do see uh, openness from different places. You know, we, we see uh, one of the things that we'll note is, is that Africa and uh, South America tend to be more open places along the way as we begin to look at some of the receptivity uh, that people have as rated by people who are, who are working with different leaders from different countries. Uh, uh, we, we, we talk about countries of origin and language of origin along the way. Um, we, and, and, you know, it changes as you, as you move through um, and to the place where you can find that, uh, and particularly Muslim countries are going to be uh, uh, less responsive along the way. And so we kind of rank these things to get a picture of, of the openness that's there uh, for gospel for gospel work and gospel presentation. In this case, this is one I won't send to you because there's some culturally sensitive issues here uh, along the way. But I just want to give you kind of a feel is uh, is to to you know the openness that we we have. You know there there's there there there's potential opportunity that's there, and really there's a remarkable amount of ethnic diversity um, here in Australia. Now, so by, by asking some questions about that diversity, now, Australia is not the most ethnically diverse nation in the world. It's not, it wouldn't be near the top several, but there's, there's, there's uh, more ethnic diversity here than in most nations of the world. It's kind of it's like this. The, the United States is not the most ethnically diverse nation in the world. Uh, you could take, you know, many places that would be substantially more ethnically diverse, but there's more ethnic diversity represented in the United States than there is anywhere else in the world. In other words, there are more people groups because of our immigration policy, and, uh, and sim- similar, not dissimilar to Australia, though I recognize you're in the midst of quite a ferocious debate uh, on that subject, but, but what happens is it creates opportunities for gospel work to be advanced among peoples and really in impacting places that you normally could not go and could not be. And so, so by doing some of the analysis and research, I think we can get a picture of some of the things and some of the impact that ultimately they have. And so I'm going to talk some uh, in this session about uh, multicultural church planting is going to be our focus, is, is what, what does it look like to do multicultural church planting? Now, first, the term multicultural has to be defined. And I actually want to spend a few minutes just talking about what I mean and what I don't mean uh, by that. Uh, for, for example, we, we were talking the, the, uh, the, the uh, Sydney Missionary Bible College. 
the SMBC. See, we're, I've, I've learned we're like this. We're this close. Uh, and uh, so I was talking with the guys from SMBC here. And so, you know, we kind of look at this table here. And we've got Zach and we've got Amy. And what's your name? Mike, Mike, Michael, and Alan. Alan, okay. And it's right here. And, and, and we, these guys I, I had lunch with. And what I would say is, is, this, is n- this is not necessarily a multicultural table. Okay? And it's very important that we get that. Because I know what all of you are thinking. You're looking at Alan and Sam. Is it, is it culturally inappropriate to point out that you guys are Asians? <laughs> okay, as long as you don't say we look the same. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no, Anglos are terrible at that. Anglos, are you from? No, I'm not. Uh, uh, but, but you see what I'm saying? Is that this table could be, depending on the term you use, it could be uh, multiracial. Uh, Okay, and depending how you define your terms that are here, um, but but it's not necessarily multicultural along the way. Amy could be uh, could be Irish, and I, I don't know. And the reason I said that is you have fair skin, and you you could be, I just came from Ireland. You look are you Irish? Yes. Boom! All right, the uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm actually I'm actually uh, three uh, five eighths Irish. So you know Stetzer's a German name. But I'm actually Irish, and so I, I can spot the Irish. And you're, you can spot them because, you know, in my own, my own family, we, we have two emotions, drunk and sleepy. And, uh, and so not, not you, Amy, but uh, the rest of them, the rest of them. Um, and so, so we have to first define that multiculturalism means very different things to different people. And the way I will define true multicultural church planting is that if we were at this table and, and Sam is relating, and Sam's indicated to me he's, he's Chinese, um, and Sam is relating in a Chinese cultural way and with, with somebody who's relating in a Nigerian cultural way, with somebody who's relating in a Filipino cultural way, that makes a multicultural church. Where on the other hand, what we could do is have Chinese, Filipino, and Nigerian all instead move into a multicultural milieu where they instead relate in, an, in a prevailing Australian way. And so they've all agreed to leave their cultures behind with some things they take with them because we can't leave them all behind. But instead we've said, all right, we're going to go into a milieu that is different from which we came and we're creating a, another culture that's primarily going to look like prevailing Australian culture rather than like the Nigerian culture and, uh, that I came from. Does that, does that make sense? Because... What happens is, is people can get up and they can say, look, my church is multicultural. And they can do so almost with a sense of pride when their church happens to look multicultural, but they've never taken the strides to actually be multicultural. For example, Filipinos, particularly first-generation Filipinos, can have a, have a cultural system where... In, and do we have any Filipinos? Any folks from the Philippines here? No? No? Okay. I wouldn't have guessed that you were Filipino. Uh, I would have guessed Irish, just to be perfectly honest. Uh, red hair, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so, so in a sense, you know, because I used to have a Filipino boss, um, Kenneth Tan, and we work with him, at a, we work together at a mission agency, and, and I'm from New York and New York City. New York City is like the, uh, you've seen Americans, loud, aggressive, obnoxious. Um, that's how Americans see New Yorkers, and so that's where I'm from. It's like I'm from the worst of the worst. Um, and Filipinos are, are some, of the most, uh, some of the most gracious people in the world. Of course, there are exceptions and everything else. And Ken, Kenneth just was wonderful. But I, I'm, you know, I'm pretty aggressive, et cetera, et cetera. But Kenneth would always never want to in, in put me on the spot or embarrass me. 
And so Kenneth would, because he loved me and because he cared for me, he'd say to Sam, he'd say, Sam, would you go talk to Ed and tell him to stop doing this? It's not really helping what we're doing. Just pass it on to him. And so Sam would come to me and I would get mad. Like, just tell me. Just tell me. What's the matter with you telling somebody else? That's not how we're supposed to work. Well, he, he was being gracious and loving to me to protect me from that. But being on a multicultural team requires us to learn that that system of relationship is very common in the Philippines. But I can tell you, it's not common where I grew up in, in Long Island. So what does it look like and why does it matter? Well, okay, if we're talking about multicultural in that way, then we're talking about back to our table here where we have multiple languages and multiple cultures and we're working together. But what Scott talked about is, 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 is helpful for us too because Scott's in a, in a Lebanese neighborhood. I, I've been by Scott's house um, and uh, not like we were, we were hanging out. We're buds. Uh, you know, again, Scott and I are like this. Uh, and, uh, but I've been by his house. And while we were in your house um, waiting, um, we went outside to the car and I saw some of your neighbors go by and, uh, and they had the, the, uh, the head covering, um, uh, you know, clearly a, a, a Lebanese uh, practicing Muslim, I would guess, neighborhood. And so, so, so what you see here is a, very, is a very different thing. So the question then becomes is, is how do we reach that Lebanese family, those Lebanese families in Scott's neighborhood? Now, do we bring them to our church where we have Chinese and Nigerian and uh, <laughs> sorry, I needed a Nigerian. All right, uh, you were a little offended together, and so I moved you over there. And Filipino and Irish and all that sort of stuff. So, do we say to Scott's neighbor, "Come over here"? Well, I will tell you that Lebanese will most likely be reached in a church that's actually planted and among reaching Lebanese. So, when we talk about multicultural church planting, it's not a thing; it's things. You get what I'm saying? It, so, it's not just we're going to get all the, all the people together in one church, which is what, what the most of you who are Anglo would like to have happen. Uh, because, because you are, you know, I'm Anglo, right? You're Anglo, most of you, not all of you. But for the Anglos, uh, we sort of, we kind of a, we're kind of egalitarian in the way we think in regards to culture. And so we think it would be best if everyone just sort of worshipped together and it would actually make us feel better about our historical oppression of visible minorities if you could all just just be with us and we could all be in church together and and it'd be awesome so so that sam you could come i mean it's, i i know we're going to sing sing the music i like because you know it's predominantly anglo church but sam if you could come and bring your Nigerian friends, and bring all your other friends, and you can just come to my church, then I would feel good about the multicultural awesomeness of my congregation. But here's the remarkable thing, that, that perhaps that Nigerian says, you know, I really don't want to hang out with you people. And that's a cultural reality. You see, what happens is the Hmong begin to be, the Hmong begin to be reached by other Hmong, and and they form a congregation, and part of what is missiological, missiologically essential for them is to be a self-propagating, self-governing congregation where they, as first-generation immigrants and first-generation Christians, can say together, look what God has done in among the Hmong people here at this time as we've migrated from Southeast Asia to here. How, how, what an opportunity that is. And so yet we've had this other egalitarian impulse that, the, that maybe Anglo-Australians may feel, which is, no, no, we need to all be together because it reflects the kingdom of God better. And so here's the thing, is that the very impulse that we want to have to be multicultural churches could actually hinder multicultural planting because sometimes that planting needs to be monocultural among first-generation immigrants. So you've got all these things kind of flowing together, and then you've got the sensitivity to talk about that issue. 
right? I mean, just see how quickly some of you got a little nervous when I began to talk about some of these issues. Because we live in a society that's very sensitive to those issues, and rightfully so, because historically we have not been. Now, so if all this is so complicated, why do we even bother to do it? Well, why? Let's talk about it. Why multicultural? Well, first, I think it's a reflection of the kingdom. There is this biblical obsession with tongues kind of woven throughout the scripture. I wrote about this in a, in a book I, I wrote called Spiritual Warfare and Missions. Um, and, and it starts at the Tower of Babel. And God makes a point of scattering the languages. And, and then what happens after that is, is the languages are scattered, and then the people of Israel are supposed to go to the scattered nations to bring them up to Jerusalem so that they might testify in many tongues. Right, so there's this upset, there's this tongue, tongues is a, you know, there's these, ling- there's these threads through scripture. We saw the royal thread through scripture. People talk about that, the kingdom thread. I think there's a linguistic thread through scripture because we see in the Old Testament that the nations are supposed to come up to Jerusalem and they didn't. Um, and the people, and we see this in Isaiah, we see this in Psalms, that the nations are supposed to stream up to Jerusalem to give praise to God in their languages. In other words, they weren't supposed to learn Hebrew. Uh, Muslims believe that, that you know, Arabic is the language that God, so people learn Arabic to be their Hebrews. Uh, Jewish people learn Hebrew. Um, and so, so, so he, Hebrew being that language, so, but there's not the case here. In the scriptures, the nations are supposed to come up with their own languages. They don't. And so, well, God in Christ actually reverses the mission. They were supposed to come up to Jerusalem. In Acts 1-8, they go out from Jerusalem, but not until Acts chapter 2, when tongues of fire come down, and they speak in what? The tongues of the nations. So what Israel didn't do, God did supernaturally, brought the tongues of the nations here. And this is the kind of tongues that everybody should agree on. Right? This, is, this, is, this isn't a debatable thing. This isn't you know, a, well, but people believe in tongues, people don't believe in tongues, whatever. This type of tongues is the one that tongues of men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So what happens is they were supposed to go up to Jerusalem. Now Jesus sends them out from Jerusalem. You see the shift? There, there's, a, there's a centripetal in the Old Testament to a centrifugal in the New Testament. There's, the Israelites are supposed to bring the nations up to Jerusalem. The, Jesus says, I'm going to send you out from Jerusalem. Holy Spirit comes down. They speak in the tongues of the nations. And then at that point, the mission goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. Why? So that men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation can genuinely and truly be present in the book of Revelation as they're gathered around the throne. Remember that? And so there's this, there's this linguistic thread from Babel to the Old Testament centripetal mission up to Jerusalem to the reversal of the direction of the mission in Acts chapter 1 and 2 to the uttermost parts of the mission from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth until ultimately the throne where men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation are here. Now, if the church is to be a reflection of God's kingdom, church isn't the kingdom of God, but it's a sign and an instrument of the kingdom of God. If it's to be a sign of the kingdom of God, it's like a window shop, right? You, you walk down, I walk down the street in Sydney and they got these shops and they say, look, you can get this. And there's like right in the window, but I know that what they're telling me, there's more inside. That's what a, a sign does. It's a sign telling, come inside, there's more. Well, if the church is to be a sign and an instrument of the kingdom of God, it's a sign of the multilinguistic, multicultural nature of the kingdom, and therefore it best reflects the kingdom when it is here now multicultural. So I believe that, that matters, and I think that's ultimately a witness to the world. We live in a multicultural world. To have a monocultural church 
in the midst of a multicultural world can actually be a distraction rather than an attraction to the truths of the scripture. Now, what then is multicultural? Well, again, it's more than multiracial. Um, it's more than multiracial. And I want to, unlike the other ones, I want to try the last two. The last two, I keep going long. I keep going long. I'm going to try to go short this time because I really want us to hear from some of the multicultural conversation among our panelists and reflect and kind of dialogue a little bit about that as well. And so, so the multiculturalness is it's more than multiracial because it costs more. Multiracial doesn't cost that much in urban Australia because there's already a commonality. Well, I, I think of a one prominent church in a global city that, that has often, and I'm not, I, I, this is a fine church, it's a good church, but they, they, they kind of announce themselves as multicultural. They say, we are just multicultural, and they just, that's kind of one of their monikers. But if you go to that church, it's, it's young professionals, which is great. Um, and you watch them interact with each other. And most of them are already friends, which is great. Maybe they get friends, friends at the church. But, but you look, and they're different races, right? So there's Africans and Asians and, and Anglos and, and, uh, and, and all, different, all different kinds. Um, but what's fascinating is, is they're already in the same cultural milieu. During the week, they go to the same movies. They listen to the same music. They work in the same places. And so it's not hard for this group of people to get together. But when true culture barriers are crossed and engaged, and uh, true culture barriers are engaged and crossed, that becomes a real multicultural church. Now, you can do that one of two ways. You can truly cross cultural barriers, where, where, where true cultural barriers are engaged and crossed. You can do that in a church or from a church. Okay? But don't miss those two things. You can do that in a church or from a church. You can do that in a church by creating a multicultural congregation from the beginning. That perhaps has a multicultural team that starts it, that leads out together in its multicultural approach, and that's from the beginning. So that's in a church, or I believe you can do a multicultural uh, church from a church. Uh, Sam, let me, if it's okay, let me use an example of your church. Is that all right? Okay. Uh, Sam, Sam, sir, we were talking about Sam's church is predominantly uh, Chinese. Sam, Sam's a lecturer at the SMBC um, and predominantly Chinese church, which is not uncommon um, in the Chinese diaspora. Um, so two ways. To, this, church can be, this church can become multicultural by, well, we're going to engage Nigerians and we're going to engage Filipinos and we're going to engage, engage Latinos in one congregation and bring them into our congregation. That's, that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is for your church to sponsor a church that perhaps is reaching Brazilians who now reside in Sydney and, pre and, and preaching the gospel and planning church to them. In both cases, we're engaging across two multi, so across cultures, true cultural barriers are engaged and crossed. Now, how does that work? Well, this partly involves multicultural teams, a group of planners from different cultural backgrounds working together in one location. Now, here's the challenge with multicultural teams. So I put you, you, and you on a multicultural team together, okay? And in doing so, we have to recognize that you now have to do two things. You have to adjust to the host culture, okay? So if you're going to plant a church, back to Ben, if Ben's going to plant a church and he's going to go plant a church among the Pocot who have migrated to, uh, to Melbourne, he's going to have to adjust to that culture, but simultaneously, if I'm going to then also have other team members, going to adjust to multiple cultures represented on the team. Now, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. It is exceedingly difficult, which is why you wanted me to speak on this topic, but why most of you will not really lead multicultural churches. Now, let me say it again. 
It's why you wanted to talk about it, because I get asked to talk about this all the time. But it is also why most are not willing to go the distance. What most are willing to do is to say, if you will become part of the prevailing cultural milieu, then you can be a part and it'll be a multicultural church. But a true multicultural church says, no, we're going to engage multiple cultures. Now, typically not four or five, because two or three is challenging enough. But we'll talk about that as we go. So what are some of the advantages? And by the way, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm reliant here on, uh, on, well, I'm going to cite the book a little bit later on. A couple of books I'm going to cite along the way. What are some of the advantages? Well, one, there's decreased suspicion. Multicultural churches are seen by the world with, with, uh, with less suspicion because people see and say, well, they're, 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 they're modeling what they say they believe. There's men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Also, we have the opportunity for experience. Experience this cross-cultural setting. I, I live in a neighborhood where, um, where the majority of people who live on my street are, are, uh, are non-Anglo. I think we had a new family move in, so it might have tipped it. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's at least, until they moved, moved in, it was the majority were non-Anglo. And, and I, I, I love that for my children. Um, I love for my children to be able to engage in some of those things. Now, I've also lived in a community in Buffalo where we were the minority. Uh, Anglos were the minority. It was predominantly what we call an African-American, which is different than African in our cultural context, but an African-American setting along the way. And the, so the experiences give us an opportunity to, to show forth the love of Christ in the midst of that. Also, it gives us a chance to model, to model the love of Christ to others. It is harder to love across cultures. It is harder to show love to somebody across cultures as well. Why? Because you have to actually have to learn how to be kind and gracious in the way they can receive it, not just in the way you can give it. So you might have learned, as I did, the way to say appreciation to somebody is to uh, kind of thank them and then to mock them. That's kind of my spiritual gift. I have the spiritual gift of mockery. And uh, I understand that I fit well in Australian culture because of that. Okay, well, you know, but I got to tell you, that does not work in a lot of places. Uh, It may work here, because Scott specifically asked me to. And then, just to be honest, knowing Scott gave me lots of opportunity to do some mocking as well. See, right there? Yeah, they like that. Scott, they're like, yeah, go, go. Bring it on, Scott. Um, But, you know, I I will tell you, one one of the biggest challenges for me, having, you know, trained and taught in different places in the world, is that humor is by and large not a cross-cultural phenomenon. Uh, and so you get up and you try to be funny, and they're like, huh. I probably offended some of you already. I was hoping. I mean, it wouldn't be a good meeting if I didn't offend somebody uh, along, along the journey. And if, if not, I'm closing with 18 things I want to share with you as we close. <laughs> so, so don't make me break out my list because I've been, I've been working it up. <laughs> but yeah, happy to serve. But you know, it's not all um, it's not all cookies and cream. Is that cookie? Is that cookies and does that translate? Is that cookies? And cream? It's not all easy. There are some great disadvantages to multicultural ministry. Great disadvantages, which is why most people will not go to the effort to be truly multicultural in their church. Part of it is just culture shock. It's just why can't you think like I think? I remember being on a. I was at one point. I was on a multicultural team. I had a Filipino leader, an African coworker. A, uh, and, 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 and the term that they identify themselves with is American Indian, but we would call it, uh, Native American indigenous peoples. But the term they identify themselves with is American Indian um, and, and a Latino. We were all on the same team together. And I got to tell you, people got their feelings hurt a lot. Why? Because no one meant to. You know, remember when you first got married 
and your spouse kept being offended by things like that's not what I meant well it's like going through all of that again and learning that along with there's a there's a shock that comes with that part of the reality can deal also with issues of financial inequities Multicultural teams, when you have true multicultural teams where there's actually a Nigerian and a Filipino and a Chinese and an Anglo uh, on the same team, uh, they typically have resources at a different level than one another because they come from a different level of financial resourcing. And so these financial inequities become very real. And because we're, we tend to think in egalitarian ways, we think the answer is, well, let's pay everybody the same if we're going to be in a multicultural church planning leadership environment. So we pay everybody the same. Well, the end result is we then break fellowship with the Nigerian leader who's now disproportionately compensated than other Nigerians who are serving in similar roles. Or we break fellowship with the Australian leader who's now disproportionately compensated from others. And so, so part of the challenge, you have to think, I mean, all of a sudden this is so remarkably complicated. And what it leads to, it slows things down. I want you to hear this. If you plant a church with a multicultural leadership team, you will be slower about the business of planting because it can take longer to make the plan, longer to figure out how to make the relationships. It is easier to plant a church in prevailing culture and to run and to go. But I think there are some great advantages to multicultural church planting. But you ultimately will have cross-cultural conflict. It is inevitable that you will have cross-cultural conflict. And if that bothers you, and if you're not... See, it does, most people, it bothers them, and so their answer is avoidance. If you're going to be a true cross-cultural team, politically correct avoidance is not the answer. Honest dialogue about the cultural differences and nuances that cause the conflict is not just necessary, it's essential. Or else what happens is you just grow weary of each other. Now, kind of when you look at team formation here, particularly if you're going to have a multicultural team, there's a couple of ways you can do this. Um, I taught this as a course. I'm, I'm taking, I, I often tell you I take my notes from a week, and I'm trying to squeeze them into 45 minutes because I'm bitter at Scott. And, uh, you know, so I do want to, again, express my bitterness towards you um, in the spirit of Christ. Um, but I taught this in Penang, Malaysia, um, and I taught this course for a, for a week on, uh, on, cross cult, on, on multicultural church planning leadership teams because in Penang you have a third uh, Chinese, uh, Chinese diaspora, uh, Malaysian-born Chinese, you have about a third who are uh, of uh, India, South Asian Indian descent. Then you've got a third who are uh, some who are, I probably shouldn't mention some of the peoples because of the, the recording, um, but, but are who, who are more local um, in, in their non-migrant populations. Um, and so, so one of the big issues is how do we plant churches in this multicultural milieu where we find ourselves. And so kind of walking through this journey, some of what I want to share with you, is making the assumption that in your multicultural church planning team, you're actually going to have some multicultural leaders. Because if not, if it's just a bunch of Anglo people saying, we'd really like you Nigerians to come to church with us, and that's, that in and of itself is just so triumphalistic rather than team-based approach to building a multicultural team. So let's talk about it some. And then, then the panelists later can say, Stetzer was totally off. I won't be offended by that. I've kind of been disappointed that everyone was so agreeable because in Melbourne, man, they were just mad and mean. And so, uh, but you guys seem much more relaxed and godly. And uh, so, you know, I think that's a good thing. I'm just kidding. We had a wonderful time in Melbourne. Um, and so, so, so here's, so here's, here's the jury says, sure. Uh, <laughs> so, so, but here's the thing. When we talk about team, we have to recognize that, you, that part of what you're going to do is you're going to have a team development and one of two ways, um, if, we're going to plant, if, if Sam's going to plant a church and Sam's going to plant a multicultural church, he can do it one of two ways. He has to have a leadership team to make a multicultural church. Very hard not to have a multicultural church if you're not multicultural from the start, having action that's affirmative about raising up multicultural leaders. So Sam can start 
by bringing along others. He can find him a Nigerian team member, and he can find a Filipino team member, and perhaps an Anglo team member, and there's the, there's the church planting team. Well, if that's the case, I'm going to tell you the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to begin to form a team. So there's this forming. We get together, we begin to talk about a plan, begin to talk about a, how we're going to work together on this plan. All this is laid out. But very quickly, things are going to move to the next stage, and that's storming. Um, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have arguments along the way, and you're not going to understand why people don't understand you. Let me say it again. You're not going to understand why people don't understand you. You're going to want to say, are you hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth? But the reality is they are, but they're hearing them differently. In Burlow's communication theory, the idea here is, is that, that there, there are words that come out and they mean something to the, to the, to the, to the sender. The sender has a meaning, but then that's the, the receptor has to decode that meaning. And in the decoding and the sending, somewhere along the way, that signal can be lost along the way. That leads to storming. And so the problem is at this point is that most teams won't get past this point. Um, and I, I would literally say most. Most church planning teams, and Sam, I'm using an example. Please forgive me. But you're a lecturer at this big college that I... SMBC and uh, Sydney missionary. missionary missionary you think I should know the word missionary <laughs> sweet mother of pearl I write about missionaries Sydney missionary Bible college and so 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 Sam's going and, and so he forms this team but storming is inevitable and if I could give one gift to those of you who are wanting to plant churches multicultural here's my gift to you you're going to have a lot of arguments and if you know that ahead of time you'll be able to handle them more clearly, more Christ-like, more redemptively. And then if you get through them, you get to norming. Uh, in other words, we're now we're starting to align in the same direction because before we were all going different directions. Now we're starting to align in the same direction. And we understand, and then ultimately you get to performing as an effective and a successful team. And that's, that's the challenge is, is along, can you actually get to that place along the way? And for many, they can't. They can't get there because they never can get through storming. And in some cultures, um, particularly cultures that value uh, multicultural egalitarianism, they really struggle with conflict. So there's the irony, right? It's okay, we want to value multicultural egalitarianism. All cultures are good. We welcome all cultures. But because we value multicultural egalitarianism, we're afraid of cross-cultural conflict, and therefore you can't actually get to real teamship. Does that make the sense? Because all you're doing is, is you create a surface-level a surface level, let's all pat each other on the back and, and we'll, we'll, we'll say the rules, but we actually won't be in real, honest relationship. Because the reality is when you look at culture, there are cultural values and practices that we've got to consider uh, along the way. And there are four views that we can look at culture when we look to issues of within the church. There are some things that are clearly right. Some things are clearly right when measured against Scripture. Yes. Five minutes. Sweet mother of pearl. Uh... The more we're together, the less I like you. Um, <laughs> oh, all right. This is clearly wrong. This is, this is right now a gray area. No, uh, this is good. Really? Did I go 45 minutes right then? I did say that. I did say that. I like the panelists. They're more godly than me. When you deal with some areas in leadership and directionally together, we find that there are some areas that are clearly right. There are some areas directly conflict with Scripture. We know what those are. But some fall into a gray area. Many just neutral, so they're fine either way. But it's this gray area in a multicultural team that requires the most conversation and communication along the way. 
So I want to talk to you real quickly about several things that I think will help. And by the way, I've skipped 20 slides to get to this slider here, but I'm going to send them all to you. So, so hopefully it'll be encouragement. Is part of it in multicultural leadership and a multicultural church planning is the importance of team selection. I cannot overemphasize the importance of team selection. People who are willing to sit down and wrestle together on issues of teamship and cross-cultural communication. That's going to also involve conversations about leadership style. Some cultures are very direct. Some cultures, in a desire to be gracious and kind, go uh, in, in, a, in a more roundabout fashion along the way. Learning that some, some cultures value age as the number one determinant about whether or not you'll listen to a person. Some persons value uh, charisma as the number one factor of what you determine. You have to decide, talk about, and learn through that together. But ultimately, if you're going to be a true team, it's reflected not just in the fact that you meet in staff meeting, but you actually have relationships outside of those along the way. How do you do that? Well, you develop cohesiveness by developing meaningful friendships with each member of the team. If a group of people get together and worship in six different cultures, then they all go home to their home cultures. You haven't gotten to the place where you're living in a multicultural church. Now, I will tell you that... Um, some churches do this better than others. And there's only one charismatic Pentecostal, and you're not even a good one. Uh, and uh, so thanks for nothing. Um, but I will tell you, there's a reason the Pentecostal charismatic churches tend to do better in multicultural ministry than others do. In, in most places, not all places, in most places. But part of the reason is, is that, that the gathered point of worship is that gathered worship service where, where, uh, where, where we see um, you know, the, the miraculous, where we see... Um, we see, we see a great import placed on that worship and that gathered and those expressions. And then what happens is, is so people come to that and they come from different cultures and contexts and they can participate in that common experience. But then they often go home to ethnic enclaves, both personally and professionally, where they're disconnected from others along the way. And so I challenge my Pentecostal sisters and brothers and I say, I say listen, I say that, that the fact that people come together for a common, one, wonderfully powerful from their, you know, as they would say it, uh, worship expression does not make your church multicultural. It means you had a multicultural gathering with people who aren't related and connected to each other the rest of the week. So developing meaningful friendships along the way, being good shepherd to your teammates, leading the team to spend time praying together. So you build this and encouraging and building a climate of mutual acceptance. Now, if you want to have a multicultural team, here are four attitudes. John Wooster developed this and I'll share them with you quickly. Real simply, humility, Gentleness, patience, and diligence. This is from Ephesians chapter 3, chapters 3 and 4. And to doing so enables you to then model this to others. Now, I want you to hear this. I want you to, I want you to hear this because you're, you're making a trade-off. I think it's a good trade-off. I prefer a multicultural church to a monocultural church, and I'm willing to take the time. The first church we planted was uh, there was no majority among any people. It was, uh, it was uh, Latino and African-American and Anglo and, and uh, Native American all mixed together. I prefer that. And, but now I live in a community that's majority, the vast majority of one racial ethnic grouping. And so for us here, having that is not, we, is, is not, we, we have some, but some non, non-Anglo representation, but not nearly what I would like it to be, but that's part of the community where we live. And so these attitudes for team unity enable us to do these things and to be willing to walk through the multicultural conflict changes everything is to stay ahead of time and say, well, we know we're going to have problems. We're going to identify who the problems are with and how we're going to work together on them. We're going to clarify them. We're going to assess the sources of disagreement. And at the end of the day, we're going to build to the place where we have true uh, biblical community. Now, how do we do that? I would just encourage that if you're going to get to multicultural, 
be in a family together. See, are you visiting one another spontaneously in the homes of different cultures? That's a sign that you've achieved multicultural connection. Are you celebrating together? Are you playing, are you playing together? Now, you've seen many of the references I put out here, and, I, and in the PowerPoint, when I send it to you through Scott, you'll see the, the actual sources of the, uh, of the references. This is from Linda Rumpke's book. Um, but what I would say is at the end of the day is that getting to the place of true multicultural ministry and leadership, it's, it's, not, an, it's not an easy thing. It's often a misunderstood thing. And it's often an aspirational value that's not lived out because people aren't willing to go through the tunnel of conflict and chaos to get to what true multicultural church leadership looks like. 